Good morning, church. It's good to see you all here this morning. Um, I do want to make one disclaimer, and that is I'm, it's doing much better now. This morning I was a little worried, but I'm not sick, but I was losing my voice. You see, we just had FCA camp last three days, and uh, typically what happens is people lose things, Bibles, water bottles, uh, clothing, I lose my voice. That's just the way it goes. And our camp usually ends on Tuesday or Wednesday, and so I've got the weekend to recover before Sunday, but our camp ended last night, yesterday afternoon, so I didn't have time for the voice recover. So if I start sounding like Dr. Fauci or something, just excuse it, okay? I promise not to put a chart up or give you stats. I, I do. Well, I, wait, I time out. I am going to give you a couple of stats. Here's my stats. We had about 92 campers at camp this past week, which was more than we anticipated, almost twice the number we anticipated. That's good news. Here's the great news. Over 12 kids gave their life to Christ. How awesome is that? Yeah. That's, that's the good news. Um, we had, uh, you know, we spread out. We tried to uh, do the best we could in spacing, not touching each other, holding hands when we prayed. And there was a lot of hand sanitizer being used. And um, there was mask at dinner time or lunchtime. And not when we ate. We had to pull it down to eat. That's all good. But, um, but, you know, it was, besides a couple of those moments, it felt like camp. Just ask the campers. Just ask the huddle leaders and the staff that helped. And um, we're so blessed to have a great team of people there and the students that were there. I want to share one moment with you that took place yesterday because I want you to know what happens at these camps. We just we want to equip these kids to be able to know how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to go back to their schools and share the gospel. We want them to grow in their faith. We want them, you know, as we, we teach them these things, but sometimes you can't just read it and teach it. Sometimes you got to show them. So yesterday we decided to show them how to love others. And so um, we heard this idea, and we wanted to try it out. Uh, we had called the local pizza place and said, hey, can you deliver, like, 12 pizzas? And we need enough so every kid's going to get a slice, and the leader's going to get a slice, so about 12, 13, 14 pizzas. And they're going to deliver it to chapel. Because when chapel's done, they go off to the huddles and discuss chapel and all that. So they get their snack when they go to huddle. So the pizza guy came at perfect timing. As in chapel, we're talking about how we as a church got to work together as Christians. We got to work together and serve together and love together and love others. And as we're loving others, and as that's happening, the, the pizza guy showed up. Now, before all this, I just want to hear what we did. We, we told the kids the day before, and this, you know, we didn't send them a note home or anything. We just said, hey, if you can remember tomorrow, come back with some loose change or a couple bucks, whatever you want to give. We're going to take the money from all you campers and some of us uh, staff, and we're going to put it, and we're just going to, we're going to go bless somebody with it. So that's what we did the day before. So yesterday they show up. All the huddles, we had nine huddles. Every group, every huddle, ten kids, two adults, put their money in, add it all up. And so in comes, now you know that background, the pizza guy comes in. And he's like walking into the chapel like, uh. Yeah, he's just standing in front of everybody and our speaker is there and I'm over here. And it's like, Kay brings him in and sort of puts the pizza in there. And, and it's like, um... Hey, um, sort of have this conversation with him. What's your name? Where are you from? And, and I had called the pizza place and said, can you, whoever your delivery person is, can you make sure it's somebody that could just, they're down on their luck. Maybe they just had a rough week or two or month, or maybe they're just struggling. And they just, they just need some encouragement. So this young man that's delivering the pizza, we know, at least I know, 
He, he could use a boost. So we're like, so here's what we're going to do for a tip. There's a table in front, 10 cups turned over, flipped over, and the money from each huddle was under each cup. And um, nobody knew how much money turned in except the staff. And I said, so you get to pick one of those cups. That's going to be your tip money, whatever it is. And so they're all numbered. And, of course, the kids have huddle numbers. So huddle number four is like four, four, and two. You know, and he's like, so he picked the cup, and underneath it was $43. And he's like, wow. You know, and so um, I said, that's your tip money. And he said, oh, thank you so much. We're not done. Uh, let's go for another cup. Pick another cup. He's like, okay. Pulls another cup, and I can't remember the amount. Sixty something dollars, maybe. So now he's over a hundred dollars in tip money, and he's like, oh. And they're like, we're not done. Let's do it again. Okay. So picks the third cup. Another forty, fifty, sixty dollars. I can't remember the amount. And he's getting overwhelmed now. And um, we're like, I don't. Th- what do you guys think? One more cup. One more cup. Yeah. So, all right. So he goes to pick a cup, and underneath it was a quarter. <laughs> so he's like, I don't know if he felt relief, like, because I was feeling guilty for getting all this money or what. But we're like, oh, a quarter. Well, actually, that quarter goes with the bag of loose change that the kids turned in. So, so Alfonso, our other director, comes over with a big bag of loose change, had $95 worth of loose change in it, put the quarter in it, zipped it up, and gave it to him. He had over $300 in tip money yesterday. And uh, he was a little choked up about it. But we wanted to not just tell kids to love others. We wanted to show them how a fun way of showing love to somebody else. And so I think hopefully the students were like, we got to bless somebody who needed it. The remaining, listen, they they raised and, you know, they just brought in this change, whatever, over $700. So we are using the other $400. We had a guy from Trinidad, Tobago come last year to help with camp. He is doing his own FCA leadership camp in Trinidad. And so, but because of the whole COVID experience, financially, he's been hit hard. So I talked to him before this whole chapel service, and we're going to send the other 400 to bless him and help them do an FCA camp, just like all of our kids experienced. So it was a fun day yesterday as we concluded camp. And and I'm sharing that story with you, not to get a pat on the back, but I want to let you know what these kids are doing and how fun it is to be a part of this. And we have quite a few students here that were a part of camp this year and some that couldn't go back. And, you know, it is what it is. We're looking forward to next year already. So I wanted you to, I wanted you to hear about that. Um, grab your Bibles. I'm going to ask you a question. When a problem comes your way, we're going to pick up last week we were in the book of Habakkuk. Oh, yeah. When's the last time you hear the pastor say that? So you might need the table of contents to get there. It's in the back of the Old Testament, a bunch bunch with a bunch of the other books that look like a bunch of sneezes, like Zephaniah and Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, and they're all back there. That's where you're going to find Habakkuk. Not the one you chew, but the Habakkuk, okay? So let me ask you this question now. When problems come your way, how do you handle them? When the unknown shows up at your door, what do you do? I don't know if you ever watched those quiz shows, those games where the person gets on from them and they ask the question and, and it's like, I don't know, don't worry, you've got a lifeline. You can call a friend, we're going to give you multiple choice, or we're going to get this expert over here, and he can give you an answer, and you can agree with it or not. And it's like, I'll use that lifeline. Now, if it's me, and I'm on that game show, I'm using all my lifelines immediately. Uh, because I get nervous in front of people if you start quizzing me. And it's like, oh, right? How do you handle that? 
Because some of us don't have lifelines. When problems come our way, when people ask questions and you're like, how do I handle this in my life? When you don't have that person to call, a multiple choice, or that expert who steps in and says, this is what you need to do in this moment. What do you do? How do you handle those problems? When we face problems or challenges in life, it would be incredible to be able to say, oh, it's a seat. Right here it says, do this. Okay, good. We actually do have a resource. We have the Word of God. We have God. But sometimes when we ask them the problems or the questions to the problems, it's sort of silent. Or maybe the answer isn't what we want. How do you handle that? What do you do? So we started looking at this last week in the book of Habakkuk. And if you're there, again, um, let me sort of remind you what we, what we discovered in the, in the book of Habakkuk. We started off with reading it. And as we, Habakkuk's looking around, all he sees is, is violence and destruction and lawlessness. And as we were reading this, it's like, did he write this yesterday? Because it sounds so familiar. And it seems like God is there, but he's being overshadowed by the evil of what is taking place. And so in this moment, Habakkuk's like, hey, God, do you see what's going on right now? Are you, are you paying attention to, to the evil? Do you hear me, God? Well, he asked some tough questions. And God's like, I heard you. And I've got some answers for you. And if we look and we see his answers that came in verses 5 and 6, basically God says, I heard your question. I heard what you're saying. Here's my answer. I'm sending in the Babylonians. <laughs> the Babylonians? They are even more evil than what's going on in our times. They are fierce. They're destructive. They're the worst. They're wicked. When you say the Babylonians, fear grips us. And suffocates us and strangles us with anxiety because of the Babylonians are so horrible. So here we have the, the first problem. The first problem, it seems that God has maybe abandoned his people because of all this violence and lawlessness that's going on. But then there's a second problem. And then as God says, oh, no, I see it, but I'm going to send the Babylonians. I'm going to send in something worse to judge what's going on. So then Habakkuk basically cries, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, God. I know I prayed, you answered. And, and I'm praying again because I really didn't like that answer. I understand you're judging us. We deserve it. But why use the Babylonians as agents of judgment? Of all people, to use wicked people to bring judgment on us? Look at with me into... Chapter 1, verse 12. We'll pick it up right there. So Habakkuk comes back with his prayer to God after God says what's going to happen. He goes, Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you don't plan to wipe us out. Oh Lord, our rock, you sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you're pure. You can't stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? 
Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on hooks, caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Well, then they'll worship their nets and they'll burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who made us rich, they'll claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in the heartless conquest? And then he closes his prayer with this. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will climb up to my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he'll answer my complaint. See, Habakkuk had a problem. He lived through a great revival. A lot of us have seen prosperous times, haven't we? We've seen good times in America. We've seen the economy do well. We've seen families get together and enjoy company and hang out. And we've even seen multiple answers to prayer. And it's like we're living in a good time. And then things decline, like with Habakkuk. Things took a spiritual decline. And he cries out to God. And God says, I hear your prayer, and I'm sending the Babylonians to judge. That's not what Habakkuk wanted. Habakkuk was like, God, I was hoping that when I prayed my prayer, you would just send another revival. That would be a great answer to prayer. In addition to not getting what he wanted in answered prayer, he had a bigger problem. He had to figure out, how could the God that I worship send in Babylonians to judge us? That just doesn't make sense. Why would a God that I love do something like that? So he's got a couple issues going on here. He's got some problems. Church, how do you handle your problems? How do you, how do you when you're facing a problem, how do you handle it properly? What, what do you do when a problem comes your way? Now, I do marriage counseling, and the marriage counseling I do is premarital counseling. All the other after counseling goes to Joy. I just like, I can't handle this. So Joy's got it. So I'm just like, you got to suck it up, people. And they're like, what? Okay, go see Joy. Um, but the premarital counseling I do, when I'm meeting with a couple, and some of you are in here that's gone through this, you hear me say, in your marriage, you will have problems. It's not a, it's not a if, it's a when. You will have problems. And I take him the scripture, and I'm going to take you to that same scripture. John chapter 15, Jesus said this in verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. See, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to this world. But I've chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. Church, please. Wake up to this truth. We think because we're Christians, the world loves us. We think because we're Christians, there's going to be reform and, and laws made that benefit us as Christians. We think that because we're Christians, everybody around us is always going to be pleased to see us. The world hates Christians. The world hates hates Christians. So do not be surprised when you are mocked or made fun of. Teens, when you're at school and other people make fun of you, do not be surprised. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago, the world hates you. It's going to hate you. You know why? Because it hated me first. 
If people hate Jesus, guess what? They're going to hate followers of Jesus. He goes on to say in chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, I've told you these things. Listen, he's like, listen, I'm trying to prepare you here. I'm telling you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Because here's what happens, church. You start getting picked on. You start being made fun of. You're like, people don't like Christians, so what do you do? I'm just not going to be a Christian. I'm not going to act like a Christian. I'm just going to abandon my faith. Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time's coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service to God. Again, in America, we are so blessed. We need to understand in other third world countries, Christians get put to death every day. Every day. And the people who put Christians to death think they're doing a holy service to their God. In America, I thank God for the freedoms we have. That we can worship the way we do. But understand this, it's not that way for everybody. Verse 3, this is because they've never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when, keyword, when they happen, you'll remember my warning. It's like Jesus saying, listen, the problems are coming. The world hates you. So quit walking around thinking that the world's going to love you and you're not going to have problems because you are going to have problems. And at times you are going to be butting heads with those that hate you. But I've got good news. I love this. Jesus doesn't leave us hanging here. Verse 33, he says this. Here on earth you will have many, not some, many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus is the victor, conquered death, rose from the dead. His spirit is alive and his spirit lives in you, Christians. You are now overcomers. When trials, when troubles, when sorrows come your way, you've got the overcomer in you. You'll face that difficulty. It's not if, it's when. So when things go wrong, what do you do? Some people, well, we analyze the problem or we suppress it or we try to fix it. We try to escape, run away from it. I've seen Christians who have basically said, I can't believe the problems I'm having right now. So what do they do? They revert back and they basically say, you know what, I'm going to go into my little spiritual corner and I'm going to pout. Matter of fact, I might go back and analyze my past And conclude that, you know what, I must have been wrong about God. And I'm going to renounce the fact that I'm a Christian. Sound crazy, right? But yet, over this last year, we've seen some big-name singers and speakers and pastors who have gone through struggles in their life. And they suddenly like, you know what, maybe this God thing isn't all what it's cut out to be. Are you kidding me? You're the ones leading all these worship songs that we sing. And now you're telling me you don't believe anymore? It's like baffling, right? Here's what happened. A problem hit them, and they didn't know how to handle it. So God must be wrong. Or my thoughts about God are wrong. Ah, maybe that's what it is. What you're thinking about God is probably wrong, because God's not. So I'm going to give you some steps here. When these problems come our way, here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do. First, I want you to just stop and think. Stop and think, okay? Acknowledge the problem. You are not alone in what you are facing. It's most likely somebody else is dealing with it or has dealt with it. In this church, a few weeks ago, might have been a month ago, I, I, I made the comment. Some of you are probably having high anxiety right now. And you might be 
really depressed. You might be having sleepless nights. And as soon as I said sleepless nights, I saw a bunch of heads nod and elbows punch the person next to him, basically. Can I just let you know there's a lot of you that are struggling with certain things. You're going through similar things. You are not alone. So I want you to stop and think and understand this. You are not alone. Matter of fact, one of my favorite verses comes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this. The temptations in your life, listen, are no different from what others experience. No different from what others experience. So many times we are tempted or we sin or we struggle. And we're like, I must be the only one going through this. No, you're not. There are others going through it as well. You're not alone. The verse goes on to say this, and God who is faithful. Let me hear you say faithful. One more time, faithful. And God who is faithful, he is there. He will not allow that temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. James 1.19 says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to gossip, quick to post, quick to tell all your problems. No. Quick to listen. James says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. So when problems come your way, first thing is this. Just stop and think. Habakkuk did that. He's got these problems. He's praying. He's stopping. He's listening to God. God, what do you tell me? And then he starts writing things down, right? Here's the next step, and that is restate truth. Restate truth. In other words, what is truth? See, truth gives us footing in life. When I was on my sabbatical out west, I was at the Grand Canyon. I was going to go hiking down the canyon, but it had just snowed. It was an unusual snow, and so it was icy. And I tried going a little ways, but it was too slippery, and I lost my footing. And I was like, that was enough to get my heart beating, because on the other side of that trail was the canyon, okay? So I'm thinking, new trail. So I hiked a few other trails, but where I was going, it was still icy in some places, but not as treacherous. And I had just looked down all the time to make sure that where my feet were stepping was solid ground, not icy. When you step in life, you need to step into truth. Lies come from Satan, the father of lies. And he puts them out there all the time, poking them up here in our minds, making us want to believe what is not true. It's like icy conditions. You need to stop because if you start listening to those lies, boom, you've lost your footing and you will hit the ground and it will hurt. We must watch where we are stepping. What are we looking at? What is true? Habakkuk reminded himself of what is true. He says, you know what? Actually, look at verse 12. When you look at verse 12, you're going to have to go back to it in yours. There it is. When you look at verse 12, he says this, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal. I'm going to stop right there. First thing he does, he stops, he listens, and then he restates truth. And he starts off with making it personal. My God. This is my God that I'm talking about. It's not my mama's God. It's not my daddy's God. It's not my papa's. It's not my Sunday school teacher's God. It's not my huddle leader's God. It is my God. And Habakkuk makes it very personal. 
He shows that he's got this closeness, this faith in God. I've personally placed my faith in God. He is my God. And who is this God of Habakkuk? Look what he says. He goes, oh Lord, my God, my what? My Holy One. My Holy One. He is holy. The most important characteristic of God, if not the, is one of the, but it's probably one of, it's probably the most important. He is a holy God. He is separate from all others. Separate from all others. Yes, God is almighty. He is creator. He is provider. He is my shield. He is my rock. He is my fortress. But he is Holy. Revelation 4.8 says, Each of these living beings had six wings. Their wings were covered all over with eyes inside out. Day after day, night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Can you imagine the throne room of heaven? As God is on His throne and the created beings are just like throwing themselves down at His feet, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When you're saying once, yeah, that's important. But three times is perfection. It's beautiful. That's who God is. He is holy. He is set apart. He goes on to say, Habakkuk says, God is eternal. He's eternal. It means he's everlasting. God will never die. There's no expiration date on God. God does not get senile and old. Okay? God's not walking around heaven going, what did I do with, uh, with that staff that Moses gave me the other day? Uh, what, who's, what's your name again? I'm telling you, I, I know how old I am. And I'm gonna, in, in 10, 15 years from now, I'm going to be in trouble, okay? Because there are things I forget, and there's people's names I forget, and there are places like, now, why did I come in this room again? Where's my phone? Oh, it's in my hand. You know, where's my glass? Oh, my glasses are on my head, okay? Um, anybody else dealing with that? I saw a few head nods. Okay, I'll take that as a silent amen. So here's what's happening. We know what it means to be forgetful or as we're getting old to maybe get a little senile, right? Okay, but here's the thing. That isn't the way it is with God. God's eternal. Same yesterday as he is today as he will be tomorrow. That is awesome. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, The eternal God is your refuge and his everlasting arms are under you. He drives out his enemy before you. First Chronicles 16, 36 says this, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shouted, Amen, and praise the Lord. Let me hear you say amen. amen. One more time, amen. amen. The Lord is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. And we're all like, cool. <laughs> People back in the Bible, every now and then, they got a little Pentecostal on us, okay? They got a little excited. And for some of us, we sort of forget what's exciting. I know, I get it. Sports have been ripped out of your life. You don't know how to cheer anymore. I get it, okay? But when God does something amazing, when we learn truth about God, it's something out of beating our heart and say, God's eternal? That's amazing. God is holy? Absolutely. The next one, he says, God is faithful. He's called a rock, a rock provides what? A firm foundation. You don't build on sand. You build on a firm foundation, something solid like a rock. That's why when you go to build a house, to build a building, you clear out the dirt, right? And you make sure it's all set. And then you put down those footers. You put down the foundation. You don't just like, well, let's just throw it right out there in the backyard. 
Because we know that that's not a good foundation. Our Lord is faithful. He is solid. He cannot be shaken. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. He is just and upright. He is. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 God will make this happen because he is faithful. Sometimes we sit around saying, I don't know if I can make it happen. You're right. I don't know if you can make it happen because we're humans. Do you think we can make this happen? I don't know. We can try. But when we go to God, God will make it happen. You know why? Because he is faithful. So what is Habakkuk doing here? Habakkuk says, you know what? First of all, I'm just going to listen to you, God. Okay, I heard you. Now I need to state some truth because I'm a little shaken by the answer I got. I didn't want that answer, but you gave me the answer. So I need to remind myself of truth. What is truth? Who is God? That's got to be our firm foundation we stand on. And then here's the third thing. You apply that truth to the problem. So let's do this with Habakkuk. If God is holy and eternal, then the Babylonian invasion is not God's final word. Because God's eternal. His relationship to us is more important and more lasting. And if God is holy, as we know him to be, then the outcome of the invasion will not be evil, but good. Because God is holy. The end accomplishment will be for God's purpose and glory, not ours. And if God is sovereign, then that means this invasion is not by chance. It's part of God's plan. And if God is faithful, then the victory of the Babylonian armies must be for the good of God's people. God never changes his mind. God never abandons us. So again, if the Babylonian invasion is not the last word in God's relationship with his people, and if it's not evil in the final analysis, and if it's not the result of chance, and if it's not indicating that a change of mind of God's part, then what must this problem be? Could it be that God's using the Babylonians as a tool to discipline his children? Could it be that God says, you all need a spanking, and I'm bringing the paddle? Could be. Every kid in here just sort of tensed up a little bit. Now, actually, the kids in here, you probably got a timeout. You want to know what the belt is? I could show you the belt. I've had the belt. Other people in here have had the belt. You know what I'm saying, right? And if God were to say, I'm bringing the belt, we would all tense up, right? And the kid's like, what's a belt? I don't know. You don't wear them. Your pants fall down. We understand that, right? But could it be that could it be that Habakkuk looks at this and goes, you are eternal. You are faithful. You're holy. So maybe God, maybe applying all this truth to the situation, maybe we deserve this. Maybe you're just trying to wake us up. I'm sure Habakkuk's not yet satisfied. He sees the ultimate purpose of that coming invasion, but he's still probably troubled by the fact that God would use the Babylonians to do this. I mean, they're wicked people. But he trusts God. 
He trusts God. Listen, we don't have to always agree with God's answers. We may not even fully understand God's answers. But we need to trust God. And that's what he does. Which leads us to the fourth and final plan of action here when we face problems. So if you are still in doubt, commit the problem to God in faith. God, here's the problem. I don't have the answer. I think you gave it to me. I don't like the answer, but I'm trusting you. I'm committing it to you in faith. So let's say, suppose you stopped the think. You applied the truth to the basic problems. But what do you do when you're still puzzled as to why you're still going through the problem? I would just say this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Go back to the truth. Rest on it. Do not withdraw and give up on God. Leave the matter with God. God, I've done everything I can and I'm going to surrender it to you. I'm leaving it with you. Because I, I can't carry it anymore. I trust you. I trust you. Because you are holy. You're eternal. You're faithful. I trust you, God. You're my rock. Habakkuk did all he could. He did all the reasoning. So what's next then? Here's what I want to encourage you with today. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says this. I will climb to my watchtower and stand at the guard post. There I'll wait to see what the Lord says and how he'll answer my complaint. So in this process of waiting, he's going to detach himself from the problem. See, the watchtower had two things. The watchtower could have been a watchtower overseeing an agricultural field, overseeing the land, and like keep an eye on like how's my fields looking, how are the vineyards looking. The watchtower is also part of a city that could be a the outskirts of the city in which you would stand in and look for the enemy approaching, which I believe this is what Habakkuk is referring to in this passage. And he says this, I'm going to go to the watchtower, which again is set apart from the rest of the city. It's like he's saying, here's the problems that I'm dealing with. I'm trusting you, God. But I'm going to stop wallowing in my problems. I'm going to go to the watchtower. I'm going to detach myself from this for a moment. I'm going to the watchtower. And I'm going to put my eyes out and I'm going to wait and look for you. Because that's what you did at the watchtower. At the watchtower, not only do you detach yourself from what's going on, you look for the Lord. At least that's what Habakkuk is doing. The watchtower was, I'm looking for somebody to approach. And if I see what's approaching, I will blow my horn back to the city to let it know whether it's an enemy or whether it's a friend. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to detach myself from all this. I'm going to the watchtower and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I know nobody likes to be patient. We're all impatient people. But Habakkuk says, I'm going to detach myself from the problem. And I'm going to go wait. And I'm going to look for the Lord's return. I'm going to look for the Lord to bring me an answer. I'm going to look for the Lord to show me what to do next. And I'm going to trust him. We should expect God to answer. How and when he answers, we don't know. But he will. One of the best ways to hear God answer is opening up his word. When we pray to him, 
It's like entering that watchtower and looking out and saying, God, help me with this. God, you're awesome. God, you're almighty. And then we open up his word and God speaks back to us. Sometimes God speaks through a friend. Sometimes God speaks in, through a song or his creation, whatever it may be. But the prompting of his spirit speaks loud through his word. Be in God's word as you wait. Be persistent in expectation. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Church, I want to encourage you. As you face problems in life, we all have them. Listen. Be quick to listen to what God's telling you. Restate truth. Find God's word that was true and just say it out loud over and over who he is. And then apply that truth to the current situation of what's going on. And then detach yourself from that problem and go wait on the Lord. Never give up. Never give up on what God wants to give to you. Back in the early 1900s or, yeah, early 1900s, back when we had all these world wars, I don't know if you remember the German Blitzkrieg before they came and we're going to basically put a lot of havoc into the life of the people of Britain. The British Department of Information, basically in that moment, they knew their land was about ready to be invaded, that they were going to be bombed. They knew that life was going to be challenging for them. They had problems on the horizon. And it's like, how do we, how do we get the people to stand strong during this. So the British Department of Information designed three posters. Sort of like, remember, we had Uncle Sam, I Want You. Well, they had three posters. Their first poster said this, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. A little lengthy. So the second poster was this, freedom is in peril. All right, let's get to the point. We're about ready to lose our freedom, people. I don't know if that was supposed to be encouraging or not. It seems sort of depressing. But it's a wake-up call, right? The third and the most famous poster, the one that everybody knows about, is this one. Keep calm and carry on. And I've shared this poster with you before because we all know a lot of the spin-offs of this poster. Keep calm, eat chocolate, keep calm, take a nap, you know. There's a lot of keep calm, play volleyball, whatever. Millions of different parodies, right? Two and a half million of these posters were made. And they sat in a factory. It was discovered after the war. After the war. All these stacks of posters that were never hung up. This was this is probably the best one out of all three slogans. The, just listen, keep calm. Carry on. What a great slogan, right? And nobody ever heard it because they sat in the factories in stacks. The good news never got out. Church, let that not be the same for us. Let the good news get out. Let the good news get out. Church, keep calm. God's in control. Trust Him. Trust Him. Go to the watchtower. Give your problems to Him. Then go to the watchtower and wait on Him. Don't let it be a painful wait. He's a promising God. He's a faithful God. He will come. He will speak to you. And you'll be amazed. Would you stand, please?
Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. God, thank you that you are a God that we can trust. Thank you, God, that we can come to you with our problems. And God, when you come to us and you say, hey, I see what's going on, and this is what's going to happen, we may not like that answer. We see the problems and the troubles in our world, and we don't like what we see. But you are a faithful God. You are an eternal God. You are a holy God. Set apart. Everlasting to everlasting. Thank you, God. That's who you are. And we can stand on that truth. And we can tell Satan and his lies to leave. Because we're standing on truth. And we can detach ourselves from these problems and go stand in the watchtower and look for you and pray to you and listen for you and trust you that in time we will see the answer because you are faithful God thank you God for all that you've done for us God we worship you now in song in my name we pray amen